The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. about toughness. Rudolph just hung in there and took a shot on that 15-play drive. Rod, if you could find the perfect marriage between an offensive game plan against a specific opponent and then that offense going out and executing that game plan, we've probably seen that from Iowa so far in the first half. You got it. They'll be physical, beat guys up, and Iowa's doing it right now. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have the second of our two weekly Reporters Notebook segments in this podcast. This show features Scott Docterman, who looks ahead at the Hawks' home game against the Northwestern Wildcats. You'll also hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Brent Balbinat and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeyes, Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other reporters' notebook podcast this week with Susan Dink. The Iowa-Ohio State game highlights are courtesy of ABC with announcers Bob Weishusen and Rod Gilmore. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz was asked about the image of Northwestern as a finesse team. You know, the one thing you can say about them that starts since uh, the mid-90s, you know, they do what it takes to win. They've done a good job of that, and you know, they've done it several different ways, actually. Uh, but there, there are certain common denominators to being successful, and for the most part, they've had a pretty good formula of that. And, you know, they won 10 games last year, so that doesn't happen by accident. And uh, you go back to when they, they went to the Rose Bowl, same thing. You know, they played good defense and just did the things you have to do to, you know, the fit your players, and, uh, and then you have to execute well. And they've done a good job of that historically. Ferentz talks about his team's ability to make in game adjustments and finish. You know, every game's kind of its own individual situation, and I don't think our team has a problem finishing. It's, it's not like that's the issue here. It's just, you know, we played a pretty good team the other day, so they had a lot to do with it, too. Yeah, we, we didn't finish it up. We didn't get it done. We couldn't, you know, couldn't finish uh, finish the game, and, and they did, and that's that's why they won. And, uh, you know, so we got to move on and see what we can do this week to, to be prepared to play 60 good minutes. Ference was asked if Iowa will continue to utilize the three tight end sets it unveiled at Ohio State. We'll, we'll keep it uh, certainly in our, our repertoire, you know, and you can only practice so much, but, um, you know, it's it's a group that we feel comfortable about, and it, it was no big secret. I mean, again, said last spring, you know, I felt pretty good about our tight ends, and they, they continue to work hard and improve, and so we'll utilize that group if it, if it fits 
the team we're playing and uh, utilize the other ones we've utilized too. But yeah, I think it's part part of what we do. Hopefully, it's like any personnel group. It just gives people one more thing to maybe prepare for, think about, and uh, you only have so many personnel groups you can put out there. There's only so many options, but but that makes sense to do it unless it really fits with your players. And right now, we just happen to have a couple guys that we're, we're comfortable playing out there. So you know, it, it fit what we're doing. It doesn't alter us dramatically. You know, it gave us a, maybe just one more uh, package to, to go to a little bit without radically changing what we're doing. Ference talks about Northwestern's offense without Venrick Mark and possibly without Kane Coulter. You know, they're they're uh, a different style of players than than uh, the players that uh, replace them. But this is one of the rare teams. It's un- unusual to see a team function really well with two quarterbacks, and they've done that all season long. And they've functioned pretty well with one quarterback too. So regardless of who's in there, so it's a real compliment to, to them what they do. That that's a pretty unusual combination, and they're different kinds of quarterbacks. But it doesn't seem to matter who's in there. They really uh, are very very dangerous football team. And you know certainly at the back out, you know, uh, but it, it caught my attention. Uh, Oh, gosh, we were riding back from somewhere, right? And I think the, the Western Michigan game was on. Yeah, and 22 is running through them like it was. there's no tomorrow, you know. So we were coming back from Ames, I believe. It was a, a game on the bus, you know, just watching TV. So, you know, they've done a great job recruiting there. They've got a lot of guys that really fit well with what they do, and they, they do a really nice job when they get an opportunity to get out there on the field. And Kirk Ferentz talks about concerns with his defensive secondary continuing to give up big plays. It goes back to one of the first points I made earlier about, you know, any any game. You know, it's, it's the ones that you can correct. Those are the ones that we have to really, really address. You know, the ones where uh, maybe we're not reading the right right progression. I'm having a Kodak moment here going back to uh, 2000, playing up in Minnesota where Bob Sanders got hurt and uh, somebody came in for him and, and took a false step at uh, safety, you know, on a, just a play action fake. He's 20 yards from the ball, took a bad bad step on it uh, like he's going to make the tackle. You know, he's 20 yards from the ball, but that ended up costing us a touchdown the other way. Those, those are the things that as a coach concern you more than anything. You know, I mean, those are the things, you know, if you're taking a bad, just not having your uh, reads in the right priority, that, that's the biggest thing. So, yeah, we just got to keep working to get those things ironed out, and, and we will. Next, we hear from Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald, who was asked to assess his team's play in the loss to Minnesota. Looking at the tape, you know, there were a lot of opportunities for us to make plays offensively, and we didn't. Not executing right now. To the level and the degree that we need to to be successful, I think first and foremost, it starts with what we're doing as coaches. You know, we took a hard look at the things that we're asking our guys to do on Sunday. Uh, a couple things schematically that, uh, you know, maybe our guys just aren't playing to their strengths, and so we'll take a look at that as we go forward this week. Uh, also looking from an execution standpoint of a consistent effort from guys, and, and some guys right now are playing at an inconsistent level. And as I said after the game, you know, we're not being successful enough on offense right now for us to win and so with that comes you know that vein that we always have in our program of competition and if guys don't show us a consistent uh, effort of improvement this week we're going to start rotating guys at different positions so specifically that's for you to see on Saturday if it happens because guys don't do a good job this week Uh, but the guys know what they need to do they know how they need to do it now they just need to go out and do it consistently but we take that uh, on our shoulders as coaches and we need to get that stuff fixed defensively I love the effort level that our guys are playing with right now I think they're giving us an opportunity to win games I think that they're playing with a great togetherness and a brotherhood and they're playing physical and and we just got to find a way to get some more turnovers. And that was the, that was the, the end all of that game on Saturday. We turned the ball over that led to 10 points. And we end up losing the game by three. And so we got to find a way to create turnovers. We got to find a way to, to get those, uh, the ball back. And then offensively, the, the turnovers are inexcusable. Cannot happen. And if we continue to do that and continue to, to operate inconsistently, we will continue to have the performances that we have. So we believe in the guys. We believe in what we're doing. But more importantly, we believe that we've got to get those things fixed and corrected this week in practice, which we anticipate that the guys will do. Fitzgerald blames the 
lack of execution on his team's offensive woes. I think it's a combination of things, number one. I think when we look at what we're asking our guys to do uh, schematically, are we are we asking guys to do too many things? You know, we start there so that we can execute cleaner fundamentally and do those things to be able to execute the play and the concept. But number two, it, it, are guys trying to do too much? You know, are they trying to make, you know, dollars out of nickels and dimes? You know, Walk, you say that all the time. It's something we've talked about here a lot is just take the nickels and dimes and the, and the dollars will come, you know, or we got to take 10 dimes. But, you know, we've been pretty darn good at that. And, you know, last two weeks we beat ourselves. We either from a lack of execution or turning the ball over, you know, our offense has really caused us to be in a, in a hole. And the only way we're going to get out of it is to fight and scratch our way out of it. And I believe those guys will do that. I really do. I think there's great character in that room. I think there's uh, a group of guys that have been very successful. And I think there's a hunger for them to improve. And those are the conversations that we had. And we need to see it in practice. You need to see it in practice. And then it needs to carry over into the games. And I haven't not seen it in, in practice. But when guys are in positions to do the things that we ask them to do fundamentally and they don't, that's a choice. And so that choice needs to be eradicated, you know, eradicated in practice and then continued on with a great habit in the game. And if it's not, we got to play other guys. Right now, the way we're playing offensively, I, you know, we're, we've lost, in my opinion, we've lost two games because of us the last two weeks. And that's not to discredit the effort of Wisconsin and Minnesota. They've done good things also, but not, not enough to stop us. We've stopped ourselves. And, and that's, that's who we are right now offensively, and that's what we need to fix. Fitzgerald was asked how he gets his Wildcats back on track after three straight losses. You go back to work. You know, everything that we saw on tape, we can correct and we can fix. You know, it's not like you're... I'm, we're looking at things that aren't aren't where you have an ability to improve on. So uh, that that's what you do. Number one. Second of all, we got we got to have a great sense of urgency with what we're doing offensively. You know, I thought when we did that on Saturday, we moved the ball pretty well. You know, and then there were other times I'm looking at the effort level of, of, of some of our guys that have played a lot of football for us here, and it's unacceptable. It's not up to the standard that we believe in, and that's a choice. And if I've got to coach effort for any guys, then they're not going to play. They're not going to play. You know, we talk about playing a wildcat way here, and when you don't do that at a consistent level, I'm not going to play them. And so, like I told the team today. I, I hold the coaches accountable first, and then I hold the players accountable next. The coaches need to get that fixed, or I'm not going to let them play, guys. And that's just pretty simple when it comes to that. And Pat Fitzgerald talks about playing in Kinnick Stadium. It's a great environment, great fans, uh, right there on top of you, you know, year in and year out. You know, argu- arguably some of the most supportive fans in college football, and it's a very tough environment to play in, and you've got you to handle your business from a standpoint of pre-snap, and then you've got to be able to go out and execute in that kind of environment, so it'll be a great challenge. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. <laughs> Time now for the second of our two weekly Reporters Notebook shows. This was Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles in the Gazette and online at gazette.com and in his blog, Doc's Office. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks ahead in depth at the Northwestern game and more. Scott, closing thoughts on the Ohio State loss before we turn the page to Northwestern? Well, you know, a loss is a loss. They all count the same, but and Iowa's not in a moral victories. However, I think you looked at that performance and you, I saw so much growth in that team over a two-week period that I think everybody should be encouraged. Offensively, there seemed to finally be a mesh between quarterback, coach, and uh, an offensive coordinator. Coming out in three tight end sets, that's Iowa's strength. That's the strength really for the last couple of 
years, uh, and they and instead of square peg round hole, they use the strength of their offense, which is a pounding offensive line, good athletic, solid tight end play, and a quarterback who's very accurate and can, can get them in and out of plays. And they did it efficiently in the first half, controlled the clock, controlled the line of scrimmage, took a halftime lead. And I think what we saw in the second half was Ohio State just ha- they have too many athletes for Iowa, especially on Ohio State's offense versus Iowa's defense. Iowa was unable to force a stop punt, uh, got caught a little bit behind. You knew Ohio State was going to eventually slow down Iowa's offense. And uh, it was a very competitive 10-point loss, but there was a lot of good things that I think Iowa can take away from it. And, and uh, I think Ohio State is the best team in the league. So going forward, it should give Iowa some confidence going against the remaining five teams. But if Iowa plays as well as they did against Ohio State on the road in a very intimidating environment, that Iowa should be in every game and, and win several of them. Turning to Northwestern then, we'll go through some numbers here that are kind of depressing for Iowa fans, but Iowa is sitting now at 4-3, and three, still two wins away from bowl eligibility. Northwestern's coming in here also with a 4-3 and three record, but 0-3 in the Big Ten and on a three-game losing streak. However, the Hawkeyes still are sitting on a four-game Big Ten losing streak in Kinnick. They've lost two in a row again. They've lost eight of their last nine Big Ten games, and it really doesn't get any easier this week when they face a Wildcats team that seems to have their number in the last few years. It's a, it's a wounded animal this year, and they are the anecdote to Iowa. They adjust better to Iowa than any other program in the Big Ten, as you've seen through all of these years, and there's been a ton of heartbreak for Iowa against Northwestern really in the last 10 years. You've seen a program that's able to withstand early barrages, make adjustments, chip away at an Iowa team throughout the course of the game and, and pull away and get some wins. I mean, they had a lucky win in 05, uh, an onside kick late. They scored two touchdowns in the final two minutes to beat Iowa uh, by a point. And then you saw 08, 09, and 2010 where a clearly better Iowa program took double-digit lead against Northwestern. Leads in the fourth quarter in two of them, and yet lost all three. And then last year, you saw a better Northwestern team than Iowa. And I think that might be the first time I can actually say that go- that in that game, Northwestern had a better team than Iowa. They were just a lot of times just out-executed Iowa. In some respects, I think it, I think Iowa fans have, have kind of grudging, begrudgingly given Northwestern its due that this is a rivalry now. This isn't the hammer nail that it was for 21 years back in the day, uh, that Northwestern is a good football team. They're going to be a consistent program and they're going to target Iowa. I, I look at this as the Big Ten's version of the Iowa-Iowa State rivalry. They won six out of the last eight against Iowa. But that said, Northwestern came into this season, in fact, came into this month with a lot of aspirations of possibly winning the Big Ten title. At this point, oh, going 0-3 in the Big Ten, losing a really tough game to Ohio State, then getting pounded at Wisconsin, and then losing a couple of its offensive stars and uh, falling apart at home against Minnesota. This is a wounded team that's capable of going in either direction. Either they come out uh, focused, energetic, and, and make it a really difficult game for Iowa or things go their way negatively and they could fold up fairly quickly. I'm going to go with the former because I've seen Northwestern too many times come out energized against Iowa and uh, and have a pretty good performance. Worse for Iowa fans, the Wildcats have won three of the last four in Iowa City.
City. And as hard as this is to believe, because he was, I believe, the youngest head coach in the FBS when he was named, Pat Fitzgerald is now in his eighth season, and he's second in longevity in the Big Ten to Kirk. And he's done a really solid job there. That program's on very solid footing. But I think it's absolutely fair to say this is a must-win game for both teams. I think it's really close to that. I mean, we're still in October. Both teams still have four games left. But I think if you want to salvage something positive out of the season, then this is vital for both programs. I mean, if you're, if you're Northwestern and you look at who you've got ahead, after Iowa, you go to Nebraska. Then you've got Michigan and Michigan State, and you end your year against your rival, Illinois. This is a very difficult slate to finish the season and to get back to a bowl eligibility. And so coming to Iowa is very important for them, plus just to get off this three-game losing streak. I mean, again, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, college game day was there. They were ranked. They were feeling really good about themselves in their season, and then they just plummeted, much in the same way that Michigan State did last year and Iowa did in 2010. And then if you look at the Hawkeyes, that this would make it a three-game losing streak, a five straight losses in Kinnick and Big Ten play, which, uh, you know, negate anything Iowa can say about it with the best fans in America and then the most and the best home field advantage you'll find, because at that point, it's over. you you, you got to go to a different tactic. So, uh, and, and this is a really a battle, a contrast of styles, and I think that's what makes it interesting. Cats are semi-finesse, meaning mostly they, they run with a quick tempo on offense, where Iowa is still a bruising type of attack on both sides of the ball, and what we've seen is the boxers beating the puncher six out of the last eight times in Northwestern, but this has the, the makings of a little bit different game and maybe a different outcome on Saturday. Fitzgerald was fairly entertaining this week in his press availabilities. He talks about his offense making too many mistakes and beating themselves. He he talked a lot about backup quarterback, at least, or sort of co-starter. Not sure how you really uh, categorize Simeon, but he talked about trying to make too much out of some plays, trying to make dollars out of nickels. He talked about turning great plays into puke because people weren't in the gaps they were supposed to be in. And this team is also under stress coming into this game because, first of all, they're starting and star running back. Venrick Mark is out by all reports, injured his ankle against Wisconsin. He's been an Iowa nemesis. He's also been Northwestern's primary punt and kickoff returner. And star quarterback Kane Colter, who's also been a pain in the side to Iowa, is listed as the starter, but he's also been injured, and Fitzgerald called him day-to-day, even though he's been listed as a starter. Those two guys combined have 3,584 career rushing yards, 60% on the entire Northwestern roster. They are dangerous, and we saw that firsthand last year. King Coulter accounted four touchdowns. You know, and then the year before when Iowa did win in Kinnick Stadium against them, he had more than 70 yards rushing, 70 yards passing, or, or receiving, and also pass for a touchdown pass. He is a, not only a dual threat, but maybe a triple threat. One of the most dangerous and versatile players in the Big Ten in King Coulter. King Coulter will play. I spoke with him earlier this week. He is uh, he is ready to go. He wouldn't give me a percentage on his ankle. It was his first practice back on Tuesday, but it's, by all accounts, he's going to play. Benrick Mark will not, and he's been a very explosive player in the kick return game, probably an All-American caliber kick returner, uh, both in punt, kickoff, and then also as a very dangerous running back on the zone read. So uh, Iowa will <laughs> kind of dodge a bullet without Benrick Mark. Kane Coulter has a lot of confidence going against Iowa. He's participated in two wins and in a shootout loss. So Iowa does understand what he can do, though. And maybe I think what we've seen is, unlike last year, where Northwestern ran for 349 yards against Iowa, I think you've seen a better defense 
defensive line effort so far, a much more disciplined line and able to withstand the point of attack. And if they could be disciplined, not fall for things from the running game, I think they can corral King Coulter to neutralize. If they can neutralize his running ability, then they stand a real chance of doing good things defensively. But if, if they get out of their gaps the way they did last year, freelance a little bit, and are able to just kind of lose sight of what's going on, especially the ball, then King Coulter and the Northwestern offense has a, a real potential to kind of blow up Iowa. Coulter enters this game. He needs just 21 yards passing and 46 yards rushing to reach 2,000 for his career in both of those categories. I can't imagine that he won't get there unless he re-injures that ankle on one of the first two plays. But his backup quarterback, Trevor Simeon, he's also started some games. He's played against Iowa before. He's decent, but he struggled, especially in that loss to Minnesota last week. Yeah, he did. He, he, and Northwestern's had a habit of turning over the football, and, and Trevor Simeon is part of the problem right now. And, and I think that's one thing that Iowa would love to exploit. They would love to get Kane Coulter either off the field or away from center because they're a different team and they're more straight up. And that would enable Iowa to, to use its potential, you know, which is to drop back in zone coverage at times. They might go a little bit man, and, and certainly they have this year, but they will be able to, if, if it's Trevor Simeon, the majority of the snaps, as long as they contain Tony Jones on the outside, this is that's kind of made to order for what Iowa wants to do defensively. But if you have King Coulter running the offense with a little bit of Trevor Simeon to kind of give them a little bit of a, a different twist, I think that could be dangerous for Iowa. So, but that said, that was a really poor game for Northwestern's offense last week against uh, Minnesota. Three turnovers and just looked poorly in, until the end of the game. And, and Pat Fitzgerald this week said that you know that was not a winning effort on that side of the ball. So you're going to look for a more concentrated focus and strength this week there. And and I, I dare say I think Iowa understands that, that they know what they're getting. So it, it'll be really interesting to see how much uh, Trevor City and Northwestern will use. Sprinkle in with Kane Coulter. But if they use him, the lion's share of the time, I think Iowa is, is tailor-made to, to defend that fairly well. Regardless of whether it's Coulter or Simeon under, or behind center, I guess, when you're talking Northwestern, you've already mentioned their leading wide receiver, Tony Jones, and then at running back, subbing for Mark will be a kid, Mike Trumpy, who seems like he's been playing there about 10 years, and then Trayvon Green. So talk about that combination and the wideouts in general. You know, Mike Trumpy, yeah, he does seem like he's played there forever. I think he's played, you know, played in all four games here now coming up on Saturday, and, and he's, he's kind of your classic try-hard guy who will do what it takes to get, you know, everybody needs those kind of guys, you know, the, the, the unsung hero types, and that's kind of what Mike Trumpy is. He'll do whatever you need him to do, and he'll do it well. I mean, he's, he's fairly limited athletically, but he's a very good player, and, and he's a guy you can't lose sight of because he'll make it, you know, he'll make those plays. He's probably not the same, certainly, as, as a Mark Wiseman, but he's that kind of caliber kid who's a, a try-hard guy, a leader, a tough guy, a guy who'll get yards for you. You know, he's he established all of his career highs back in 2010, but he's just, he's the glue, the backbone of that running back. And then uh, Trayvon Green is a guy with a lot of upside, and he's, he's you know, a little bit bigger, I would say, than Venerick Mark, but he's certainly uh, right in there. You know, he's been, he's ran to run 20 times in a game this year. He's got a couple of games, two touchdowns. He can, he can break away if needed. He's also involved a little bit in the passing game. So he brings something 
something different than Benry Park would anyway. He's not explosive, but nobody else is in America. But uh, he's also he's also very dangerous. So I would expect Iowa to see a lot of Trayvon Green mixed in with some Trumpy in, in this game. One of the things fans might want to focus on Saturday is when Northwestern has the ball inside the red zone because they lead the Big Ten in red zone efficiency. They scored 96.5% of the time so far. However, Iowa's defense is fourth in the Big Ten in red zone defense. And Iowa's only allowed four red zone touchdowns so far this year. So maybe inside the red zone could be one of the key factors in this game. Iowa traditionally is very tough in the red zone and, and the limiting of, of opponents to field goals. That's going to be crucial in this. Now, Northwestern has one of the best field goal kickers in Jeff Budzine. But that said, they are very efficient in the red zone. As you mentioned, 96%. They scored on every one but one uh, of their 29 opportunities inside the red zone. So they are very efficient there. However, not having Venrick Mark removes some measure of balance, maybe, that the offense can have when they get in there. Iowa, you know, of course, on the other side of the ball isn't nearly as efficient in the red zone. So, you know, this is interesting because I think if Iowa can limit Northwestern to field goals, I think when we talk on the other side of the ball, I think Iowa has the potential to really do some damage to Northwestern's defense. So it's going to be a game where if Iowa can keep them down, if they get in the red zone three times and force them to two field goals, I think Iowa will feel fairly confident it will be able to win this game. And in terms of those red zone trips, the Wildcats have 17 touchdowns, so it's not like they're just getting inside there and doing nothing but kicking field goals. Before we return to the other side here, any significant impact in this game with Dominic Alves out and, and maybe some of the other two deep changes, particularly in the defensive secondary for Iowa? You know, I think you're going to see some, that will be an issue, as you mentioned, Dominic Alves, you know, a three-year starter. I think he started 27 games. That is going to be a significant loss for Iowa. And I think a lot of that comes down to discipline. Uh, when you're talking about the zone read, a lot of it is those guys making decisions, but also staying at home, making sure that the ball's out of Kane Coulter's hands and into the hands of the running back or vice versa. And uh, so it's going to come a lot, put a lot of pressure on a guy like Mike Hardy or his backup, you know, Nate Meyer, who gets in there on passing situations. I mean, he's a gung-ho, 100% type of guy, but a lot of times those guys make mistakes because they don't stay at home. They chase ghosts. And this is the offense that really negates any kind of, you know, go all out type of performances by the defensive end. So, but that said, they did play against a team that had those kind of capabilities last week. Braxton Miller's a better quarterback than, than Kane Coulter. He's more explosive. Carlos Hyde's a better running back than anybody Northwestern will put up there. And yes, they were batters, but they did see it. They learned from it. So I think going forward, they can apply that in this week's game. And, uh, you know, I think we saw Nate Meyer over-pursue a little bit on Braxton Miller. As far as turning to the secondary goes, you know, we see Jordan Lomax has now uh, kind of moved into number two at the corner. I'm not sure if Iowa's going to go to a, a nickel. They went nickel a lot against Michigan State, and then they didn't go nickel at all last week. They felt more comfortable with their linebackers on the field. That'll be interesting to see if they do go nickel a little bit and if Jordan Lomax hits the field. So there are no changes to the starting lineup, but, you know, after last week, there were a few glitches again in the secondary to make you wonder if maybe there needs to be. Northwestern's defense has struggled recently, but then most teams struggle defensively against Ohio State and Wisconsin in particular. They do have a pretty uh, solid defensive end in Tyler Scott, who leads the Big Ten in sacks, and he's tied for second in tackles for loss. But Iowa's offense has only given up five sacks all year. Yeah, that, that's going to be a crucial thing for Iowa. So, so Tyler Scott tends to line up over the right tackle, which, uh, you know, now Brandon Sheriff is playing an all, having an all-Big Ten type of year for Iowa at tackle, so, but he's the left side. So this is going to put some pressure on Brett Van Sloan. 
It'll be interesting to see if Iowa motions out tight ends to his side to chip off of him, to gate a little bit of his power and his rush to, to help out Van Sloten against Scott. But the rest of the defensive line is in nearly his, capa- his uh, abilities. And what we've seen out of Northwestern is a ball-hawking defense. Uh, they're second in the, co- in the country in interceptions with 13. They have 17, tr- four, 17 turnovers across the board. They're kind of boom or bust. The strength lies in the linebacking core and also with uh, safety, Ibrahim Campbell, who has four interceptions. So that's going to be crucial for Iowa is once you get past the first level, what do they do at the second level? I expect Northwestern to take chances. That's going to include blitzes. That's going to include jumping around. Those are the things that I think can hurt Iowa. But that said, if Iowa, is, if Iowa can ground out its attack the way it has, and even against an Ohio State, that's their strength, and that's Northwestern's weakness. So I expect full-fledged 40-50 carry games this week out of Iowa's running. And Northwestern's turned their 17 turnovers into 72 points, and they also have four pick-sixes, so look out opposing offenses. They do something innovative. Marv Cook and I talked about it this week in his show on third-down plays where they pull their two tackles and put in two uh, additional defensive ends to have a better speed rush from the outside. That's a little different approach, and Marv's reaction to that was, well, why don't more teams do that? Because that's a good matchup. You know, you're right. You know, with a team like Northwestern, they can't be conventional this year up front. They traditionally had at least one defensive end that's been very disruptive, you know, going back Corey Root and Vince Brown and now Tyler Scott. So you wonder why don't they do a little bit more of that. But it does make them susceptible to the run. And in a, I guess a power running scheme, if you're if you're bringing in DNs inside, you're going to get blown off the ball. And it's going to happen repetitively. And Iowa probably has no fear of running even on a third and seven if, if they know they've got three to four guys you know, standing up right on the line of scrimmage. So it does leave you exposed. But, but that said, with their kind of go-for-broke defensive style and, and what they need to do, it wouldn't surprise me if you see more movement, more attempts at confusion to try to rattle Jake Rudolph, who's by and large been unwrapped, you know, has, has been very poised this year. So I think, uh, you know, that would be a very interesting point to see if that happens this week. And to your point there, Iowa's been successful on 50% of its third down conversions. That's tied for second best in the conference and 14th nationally. So Jake continues, Jake Rudolph continues to play very solid. I think he's impressed most observers. And it'll be interesting to see how much maybe you see Saturday, especially against a Northwestern type of defense, the uh, three tight end sets that were unveiled against Ohio State. Yeah, and, and that was that was a neat wrinkle for Iowa because it did allow their their best attributes on the field, which is their tight ends. Uh, you know, they go five deep there, and they're all pretty good. So being able to blow teams like Ohio State off the ball and and the reaction, even this week, the reaction from Ohio State was one of kind of shock and awe a little bit that they were surprised at how they got blown off the ball. So if I Iowa can bring that three tight end set. I'm sure they will after they saw Sessa and who they're playing this week. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how Northwestern chooses to cover that because yeah, I guarantee that's been a major emphasis in their planning this week. Do they try to jam the tight ends of the line of scrimmage to negate them getting off the ball? Because Iowa was doing really good off its bootlegs tight end in the flat. You know how how do they cover that? Do they watch that more than the run? That's going to be a very interesting matchup. You uh, mentioned earlier Northwestern's uh, place kicker. Uh, Jake Budzine. This game will feature two of the Big Ten's better place kickers in Budzine and Mike Meyer for Iowa, and uh, they're also up near the top in the conference in the country in terms of made field goals and consecutive PATs. Yeah, they both are. I mean, Budzine's getting close to setting a Big Ten record. 
uh, Mike Myers 100 plus straight uh, extra points. That's one area where I think uh, it's it's basically neutralized. I think they both have good field goal kickers and good extra points. But then I think you know there are a couple of areas and special teams that are kind of interesting. Is number one, Iowa still struggles in defending kickoffs and allowing major kickoff returns, and whereas Northwestern's one of the better teams in the league in, in negating long returns. And then two, Northwestern's the worst team in the league when it comes to punting, whereas Iowa's in, in the top half. So both teams on special teams have strengths and weaknesses, and it'll be interesting to see how they exploit those this week. And let's not forget that, that Pat Fitzgerald's another one of these opposing coaches who's not afraid to uh, employ a little trickeration on special teams. So that'll be something to watch also. We do remember in 2005, uh, one of the first uh, the onside kicks to go against Iowa was at Northwestern. Now, he wasn't the coach. It was Randy Walker, but that was recent rivalries history. We've seen that uh, onside kicks can go against Iowa. Okay, so let's uh, get to the bottom line here. Uh, odds makers seem to be favoring Iowa in this game, but there's a lot of pundits, I notice, who are picking the Wildcats, particularly based on the recent success versus the Hawkeyes and coupled with Kohler's return. So what are your keys and what's your prediction? The key is to limit Kane Coulter. And uh, if he doesn't play that one, it's beyond their control, but he will play. He's an effective guy. He understands what's stake. He's a veteran. That Limiting him and his effectiveness in running the zone read, getting open in space, is going to be the ultimate key for Iowa defensively. Also, staying true dis- discipline on defense, and that starts and pretty much ends with the secondary and defensive ends. The secondary's had a very rough year. They've given up a lot of big plays. Unaccustomed to this type of defense, but they have taken a little bit more chances. They ran a little bit more man, so it is a little bit more difficult. And then also the defensive end. Drew Ott had his first action in an Iowa game last year against Northwestern. He got his redshirt pulled to play in it. And then you look at Mike Hardy, who's going to be making his first start. They have to be very disciplined on the edge because if they chase ghosts, guys go right around them and Northwestern will pick up yards and chunks. So defensively, it's mainly be disciplined, be smart, don't do anything out of ordinary and contain Kane Coulter. Offensively, it's probably going to come down to don't take any unnecessary chances. Northwestern, again, 17 turnovers, 14 interceptions, four pick sixes, best of the leading sacker in the Big Ten. That's really what they make their mark on is, okay, we're going to give up some plays, but we're going to stop you with one big one that's going to hurt, and that's either a turnover or a sack. So uh, if they can defend against Tyler Scott, if they can prevent, especially Jake Rudock, from throwing interceptions, he's thrown five in the fourth quarter this year. That's very dangerous, especially in a game like this. So uh, I would say limiting their big mistakes on offense. I, but I think Iowa can do that. I think Iowa's gained some confidence in Ohio State. Very difficult environment. Played hard. Played well. They understand there's no disrespecting this opponent. They've seen what Northwestern's capable of and what they've done over the years. The, the kids on the team, they don't remember the 21 straight poundings that Northwestern absorbed against Iowa the way you and I do. They All they do is they remember Northwestern giving up fits for the last several, eight, seven, eight, nine years. But I think Iowa's got enough in the tank to, to beat Northwestern at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball to contain King Coulter, limit their mistakes. I see it being close, difficult, gut-wrenching to the end, but Iowa wins 27-24. Revenge is so very, very sweet. Down the sideline, in stride, Jake Doozy ahead of the coverage. The tight end goes the distance, and Iowa strikes back. I can't. 
can't recall seeing anything quite like this, a transformation with a team that has gone almost exclusively to their tight ends, and they have just been working Ohio State today. Two tight end sets, three tight end sets, and Ohio State has not been able to handle it. An 85-yard touchdown pass to the sophomore tight end. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Our thanks again to ABC for the game highlights this week, and thanks as always to Scott Docterman. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast and that you'll come back for more. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.